When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, January 22nd, 2017. This is Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Episode number 193 of Celtics Beat this week being brought to you by Blue Apron and ZipRecruiter. We have just passed the halfway threshold of the season. Game number 43 last night or evening, a very rare Saturday evening. Sean, can you help me out uh, here? Saturday Celtics games are at the Garden. They're rare enough. There's generally ice on the floor that night. But a Saturday 5 p.m. or has there been one of those? Not at 5 p.m. We've talked a lot about it over the last uh, month or two leading up to it because I'm kind of into this sort of thing. I was trying to, you know, when were there Martin Luther King Day home games? The back-to-back home game thing from last month, that was a, from earlier in January, that was a big deal. That took a lot of work to sort of trace back. And you find it interesting stuff when you do it because that was the beginning of the 78 season. All the records are messed up because of the Hartford games which there were a lot of Boston-Hartford back-to-backs, which weren't really back-to-back home games. The final four games of 78, I found, were all played at home on four consecutive days. And then I realized, I said, that had to be because of the blizzard. And then, you know, talk to people who have been around for forever and find the historians, and that's exactly what it was. So there's always interesting stuff. The Saturday game that I remember, and obviously playoffs end up on Saturdays quite a bit, but uh, the Saturday game I remembered, and it wasn't a 5 o'clock, but it was an afternoon game, was that horrific loss to the, the Nets, Nets last in year. 2010, yeah. And no, in oh. 2010. Oh, uh, I remember that, they, yeah. Right. They, they, kind of, they were down 14 with like two minutes to go and they scored 12 straight but lost the game. It was, you know, it was early in that just horrendous stretch of bad losses for that 2010 team that, of course, you know, ended up going to the finals. What I remember most is that Maria Menounos did that game with, with Tom, like filled in for Mike Gorman for a quarter. And like ended up with like the worst game of the of the new big three era. Yeah, I remember a playoff game in a different lifetime for many. I was in kindergarten. The Celts had a playoff game against the Pistons on the Thursday afternoon. It was like twelve thirty to one. I mean, yes, a Thursday afternoon playoff game because the Bruins, who owned the building, had a playoff game of their own later that night. And yeah. I, I just cried and screamed my way out of Walnut Park, Montessori, to ensure I'd be home to watch that game. That was the game where the pigeon got on the court uh, with Larry Bird, and he hit a couple shots. But... Yeah, I'm, obviously, yeah, we all have our memories. Mine in New York is. Uh, the famous Game 6 of the NLCS. Uh, I was in junior high or high school, I don't remember. But I remember starting in class, there was one person with a radio as that game started. And the Mets went down 3 nothing in the first inning. It was the famous game they came back to win. And I'm sitting next to the person, and she's writing down, hit, hit, run, run. I'm like, this can't be, this can't be right. And I remember like running out of that last class, you know, running out of the last class of the day to, to race home to watch it. Anyways, wow, that took about not even seven seconds to drift off course here. So, this is Sean Grandy, yeah. Celtics radio play-by-play voice in the flagship home of the team, 98.5 FM, the Sports Hub. Sean, welcome back to Celtics Beat. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having and me. And for those of you who read the description, yes, our midterm individual report guards now game 41, which was way back yonder on Monday against Charlotte. I have timestamps for each player in the show description. 
For those of you who are, say, driving, and I strongly suggest you continue to focus on driving while listening and not reading the show description and looking at the timestamps, we'll work our way up the roster based on minutes per game for each individual player. And lastly, one more note. No, there's not some precise algorithm or science on each player grade, just as there really is no precise math to your grades back in high school or college, no matter what that syllabus said. Uh, these are, will all generally be based off the general expectation, even their salaries, coupled with the overall production level of the team. So, Professor Grandy, let's first exclude a few young lads from the class. Tyler Zeller, James Young, uh, and the main Red Claws team of Jackson and Mickey. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about them to you. No, I think it's all, you know, that's all incomplete. And I think the big thing when, you know, when you do this is what are you judging them against what you thought they would do or against, you know, if, if LeBron and Harden and Westbrook are the, are A pluses or whatever, you know, are you doing it backwards from there? So I think every, you know, every player, it's, are they doing what they have been asked to do? Yeah, either Fs or incompletes. We could hand out some Fs, but uh, we won't. We will move along to discuss more important matters. Let's start with the bottom of the pecking order on the minutes per game list, and it's actually Gerald Green. I'll let you take the floor on Gerald, Sean. I thought he, he, the most impressive thing about Gerald Green to me was that when he was called upon, and obviously Terry Rozier took that spot, and Gerald's, you know, where, where are we now? We're getting into late January, so it was about a month ago when, you know, Terry Rozier had a couple of bad games in a row, and Gerald Green jumped in that spot and, is, you know, tried <laughs> tried to play defense. It started to hit big shots, and I think what impressed me the most about him was how ready he was to play because that's the hardest thing for a veteran to do is to sit and even harder is when a veteran has to sit behind a young player you know taking his spot obviously Gerald Green didn't come here to be the 11th or 12th guy and not play and yet what he said to me which is really interesting was how it was really Brad Stevens that he's so you know po- Brad Stevens is such a positive guy he loves playing for him so much that he he sort of keeps you ready and you know Brad Stevens said all these guys are going to be called on at some point and when, when Gerald was um, you know, he was ready. I think he was set. The injury in the preseason really hurt him because of not as a veteran, but in the system in that he did not really get to practice and play preseason games in this system. And that really put him way behind. Harken back to 2010 with Doc Rivers telling Nate Robinson all the time, you're going to win us a game. And it ended up being yeah, pretty much the most important did. game of the season. Was Gerald's first real game of where he was getting minutes uh, after he started out in the rotation? I think his first game getting minutes was against New York on Christmas Day. Yeah, Christmas he played very Day. well in the second quarter. That was the really the stretch that pretty much won them that game uh, when they went up big. And then I would say he helped them win. I don't know, I'd say he was probably the most valuable, or not? No, he definitely wasn't the most valuable player. He was uh, head of it. Was it against right before the new year? What was it? Miami. When he had like yes. twenty someone off the bench, so that was yep. really underlying. Uh, that was the game. Isaiah. Yeah, went nobody really. Nobody yeah. remembers who we had twenty about that. that night. Yeah, we forget about that. I gave. Him, I, I just threw him down for a C plus. So you guess I'll just say, hey, he won them a couple games, and if he doesn't do anything the rest of the season, you can point back to a few games in which he contributed in. But uh, yeah, the obligatory C plus. And not to spend too much time on Gerald Green because we have many more players on the roster. Uh, moving along to Jalen Brown. I'll start off with Jalen. I threw down a C. I know you, he's quote unquote shown flashes for as any rookie seems to do at the top of the uh, of the food chain. But his, I, I had low expectations for him, and I was not happy with the selection. His floor is now a lot higher than I originally anticipated. But you talked how, or you talked, I talked how uh, Gerald Green has quote-unquote, won a game or two for the Celtics. Jalen has, you know, shown flashes, had moments. 
But he's never really put his stamp on a game yet thus far this year. No, no, he really hasn't. And I, I think if that's, you know, Cleveland, I, I, I wouldn't really disagree. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with the grade. I, I've been surprised. I was a little surprised at how quickly he won a rotation spot. And the minute number is really interesting. It's a lot higher than I would have thought it would be at this point because, you know, a number three pick in a draft is usually coming in to a bottom three team in the NBA, not a top seven team in the NBA or higher, whatever the Celtics end up being this year. So it's been interesting. I think he's looked uh, – he hasn't been unfairly judged. It's a, he's judged differently. I get, you know, Twitter pushback all the time on Jalen Brown. And what about – you know, I wanted to take Chris Dunn, and I wanted this guy. I'm like, have you watched those guys play? No, you haven't because they're playing on bad teams on league pass somewhere, you know, in the middle of the night. And nobody's nobody's seen their mistakes. You know, these guys are not – it's been a terrible year for rookies. Embiid is going to run away with rookie of the year because none of the guys from this past draft class have gotten off to any kind of good start or had gotten any traction. So I think it's uh, – I'm not really sure what the expectations are for a 20-year-old player having to play minutes on a significant team. But I think that's – you know, I think that grade's more than fair. Jonas Jarepko, I threw down B-. Uh, he got off to that absurd hot streak. He went the final two weeks of November, not even missing a three-pointer in the second half. Uh, he was also really kind of a part of that hashtag winning plays theme that Stevens love. I mean, in fact, I know Stevens is uh, talking about Jarepko. He, he's turned to that lineup at the end of games at times, and that's sort of an, an underlying storyline that I'd, I'd love to touch upon with you is how Brad doesn't really have a lineup that, that's set at the plays at the end of games. Uh, but... He's used Jonas Jarepko uh, when he's got the starters out there with Amir swapped out and Jonas at the form. That's performed well. One of their few good defensive lineups, and usually when he's out there with that group, he emphasizes his focus on the defensive glass and guarding some of those stretch fours himself. It's odd because his rebounding stats don't jump out at you. I believe he's like six in the team in defensive rebounding rate on one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. So, But a lot of the times when he's at the four, he's given them rebounding, some active defense, They've got some good defensive lineups with him out there. He's a really a lot less versatile than perceived. He just can't play small forward at all. So, I don't know, B-minus inflated with classroom participation and effort, but he's a B-minus tweener guy, small ball four, so I just slapped a little B-minus on him. I think he said, I think he has, he's a perfect example of someone who has, if you put him down for his role, has he succeeded in his role? And if it's, you know, if the answer is yes or no, then it's absolutely yes. Um, you know, he stretched the floor. He did get that credit. Hot streak really didn't make a lot of sense. You think when you think back to self-executing threes, you just close your eyes, not if you're driving. But you think about how many of them have been open, and how that year. means. Thank that, you, Al that means, Yeah, that means everybody is doing. You know, everybody is doing their job, but. Uh, you know, I think Jonas Jarebko is certainly, uh, certainly a guy who has good things that generally happen to the Celtics when Jarebko has been on the floor. And on the nights that the bench has played well, it's usually Jarebko in the middle of it. I think the underlying theme as we move along here, Sean, is while they've, a lot of these players have had their moments, there are so many guys, I think, kind of playing out of their roles and not being utilized to their strength. Jarebko, I think, is one. He pretty much has to be a power forward. Amir Johnson is another. Of course, we're going to be talking about that. Al Horford be probably best suited to play center at this point of his career. But uh, Jonas actually kind of jogged my memory there as his former team, the Detroit Pistons. Uh, they're in town. They're in town not tomorrow, but the following Monday, the thirtieth. Uh, win a pair of tickets to that game at the Garden by a click of a button. Rate this podcast on iTunes. Leave Celtics Beat a rating on iTunes, and boom, you are into the drawing. Winner announced on my Twitter account at CLNS underscore LHR this week. 
Rate Celtics Beat on iTunes. Sean Grandy, this is probably going to be the first real low grade of the day. Rate Terry Rogier. Yeah, I, I think you and I are going to disagree a little bit in that he's been wildly uneven. Uh, I, I, this is how I'd phrase it at this point. Terry Rozier, how many good games did he give you last year as a rookie? Zero. One, two, zero. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Answer. Yeah, this year, two. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I, it, that's, Orlando. whatever your answer is, it's fine. Um, but what I'm saying is out of 40 this year, you've gotten, I'd say, 15 to 18 nights when Terry Rozier has, been, has played his role or better. And is it a you know if you want to, if you're calling last year an F or whatever incomplete or whatever you're calling it again what what were the expectations of Terry Rozier and again I think the expectations nationally and whatever were so low that whenever I see Terry Rozier show those flashes and have a really strong game I, I just think he's still in the evolutionary period he was a lot more of a raw project I think we we tend to think now guys one year out of high school or whatever they're this guy's raw, a foreign player, I think gets some slack for being a raw. You come from a top program like Louisville, like he did, playing for Rick Pitino, and you think he's a more complete player. And he is the player that he's going to be a lot more than other young players that come in the league. And I never really thought that with Rozier. I just see a very aggressive defender who's just finding his way on the offensive end and is just gaining in, in confidence. So to me, I don't give... Uh, you know, listen, he's lost his spot. You're playing on a top seven team. You have a couple of bad games in a row, and you got Gerald Green behind you. You're going to lose your spot. So I think it's just been, I would look at it more as a huge step forward from last year for Terry Rozier than I would, you know, a disappointment. And again, if we had this same conversation on February 22nd instead of, you know, January 22nd, this might be a different different deal. So again, you're taking the snapshot when he is in his little funk and lost his spot versus in November and in December when that grade would be a lot higher. Yeah, he just has so many weaknesses that are not really good for this team. They're large because he's just almost useless off the pick and roll. Uh, I was... I wanted to even go C minus or even D plus. Um, I just... I'll just chalk it up to really those two games against Orlando when the team really needed it when Isaiah was out. And that was his career game. He had another good win. I think it was against... Indiana, but otherwise, uh, I think a disappointment on, on his end, and I actually think he was the one who set those expectations that he had improved so much since, you know, here we are, January 22nd, 2017. Let's go back to January 22nd, 2016. I don't know, was he in Maine? Like, he was barely even on the team last year, but then he comes back end of the year. He's kind of finagling, I don't want to say his way into the rotation, but he was finding a way to get, you know, a couple minutes here and there, played pretty well in the summer league, played pretty well in the preseason, and it just really hasn't translated over consistently into the regular season. Could obviously change going forward, but I don't know, for the 22nd of January 2017, uh, here we are. This is the first real interesting one. Um, once again, we're, we're working our way up here. We're just the, the order is predicated upon minutes per game, so that's the, the pyramid uh, climb that we are making. Amir Johnson, Amir is... Uh, just tough to really figure out because I want to say that he's second on the team in real plus minus uh, behind Crowder. I'm pretty sure that's the yep. case. Um, and I was I gave him a B minus, and I was actually tempted to give him a B. I was talking about it earlier. I, I'm very lenient with him because, like I said, I think the real underlying theme is I still think there's a lot of players here that are not playing to their strengths, and they're just being put in positions that just they have to be put in. Uh, and I think that's Amir Johnson. I think he's playing a little bit out of position. His own 
individual defensive strengths are being really mitigated because Horford's guarding forwards on that pretty much the perimeter where it, it should be the other way around. I, I think even you'd agree with me with that. I mean, Johnson just, he's not a good, he's not a good post defender or he's not a good rim protector or he's just, doesn't box out. You don't want him him on the big bodies like you know Valanciunas or whatever getting twenty three rebounds in that game. Um, but you know he's he's good at you know pick and roll switches. Very good at closing guys out. Whereas Horford isn't yet. He's still pretty much giving them some professional outputs. And yeah, here he is, second on the team in real plus minus. So I'm I'm actually fairly happy with Amir Johnson, who I actually didn't even think was going to have much of an impact on this team coming into this season. When you have a team of power forwards, somebody has to play center. Somebody has to play Valanciunas. Somebody has to play Gobert. Somebody, has, you know, this is this is going to be the this is the tale. So again, has Amir Johnson done what you've asked Amir Johnson to do? And he's has he become stretching the floor is an interesting thing. Well, he stretches the floor. Well, he doesn't stretch the floor if guys don't guard him. And teams have continued to make the choice. They're not going to guard him. He has that little ten-year-old. By the way, and then here's what eventually they're going to have to, and here's why: because if you give Amir an hour and a half. To crank that thing up, he's going to make it 38-40% of the time, and that becomes an efficient shot. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure what the complaint would be about Amir Johnson other than it would be nice if he were, you know, was the, that old Seinfeld thing about uh, uh, they did the, the New Yorker cartoon about the pigs, and it's like, I wish I were taller. You know, at the complaint booth. Well, that's Amir Johnson. I wish, you know, you wish he was taller, but, you know, he's competing. He's giving you the minutes that, uh, you know, listen, Al Horford, everybody promised him he wouldn't have to play center. That was part of the recruiting pitch from Atlanta to Houston, everywhere. You're not going to have to play Atlanta. Atlanta, by the way, has Dwight Howard because they got him for Al Horford. So Al Horford could play the four, and they would have a real five. So, uh, you know, Amir Johnson just is, is the guy that, uh, that has to – he's the four that has to play the five. And if you want to dock him grades because he's not seven feet tall, then, uh, then we'll dock him. Yeah, we are going to get into that Al Horford at center thing. Uh, I do have to make well, – because I was ready to get it in there. I love – it's one of my favorite things. Of, I don't want to say one of my favorite things, but I, I do love the little 10-year-old kid look both ways before crossing the street, deal with Amir Johnson, trying to crank – you know, getting ready to shoot his yeah. three-pointer uh, whenever it does happen. Uh, Got to hit the pause button here, Sean, uh, to uh, let our audience know of our great sponsor, ZipRecruiter, because uh, they are very important to really what we're doing here at CLNS. Uh, many of you – Know that CLNS Radio is currently hiring full-time staffers in both broadcasting and audio-video production. And we are doing so, as I said, using ZipRecruiter. Uh, The new year, giving CLNS and all businesses a fresh start in 2017. Off to a great start for us by making great hires. Got some very uh, new and valuable members of the team who are whizzes at producing podcasts like this, as well as expertise with Final Cut Pro. But... Posting jobs in one place is not enough to find quality candidates. From our experience, we are making the perfect hire by posting our openings on all top job sites with ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can now post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, Celtics Beat listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. I don't know how do I translate this. No, no talking about uh, you know job. I, before I make a little lame crack, let's go to, to Kelly Olynyk. Um, 
I think he is, if I had to make a prediction of most improved Celtic for the second half of the season, I think it would be him. And if you recall, he had a breakout game last year on a Friday night against the Phoenix Suns when the team was really struggling right after the uh, the real funk they went in. You referenced the, the Celtics laying an egg on a Saturday afternoon against the Nets. They did so last year, Saturday afternoon against the Nets. They blew a game, and they were playing horribly. Uh, Friday night, middle of the season, Phoenix comes in. Celtics blew him out. Kelly Olenek had his, his breakout game. Uh, breakout game against the Hawks on Friday the 13th. Uh, I gave him a B- minus because I'm sort of optimistic of what he's going to be able to do the second half of the year. And I, he's also the team's best big man defender. But uh, how would you uh, grade Mr. Olenek thus far, Professor Grandy? First, I mentioned that Phoenix game is important because we're, it's just about a little over a year ago now. And if you look at it, I've probably been tweeting about it. The Celtics record over the last calendar year has just hit like a certain point because we just passed the point in the season where uh, the Celtics were at 500 last year and then they took off. And I'm going to tangent again, but I can't help it because I love this number so much. Last year, the Celtics and Knicks had the exact same record after the Knicks beat them in the January game at Madison Square Garden. And then both team seasons went in the exact opposite direction. Celtics and Knicks this year, the exact same record on Christmas Day. They play at MSG, same building. And look what happened after that. The Celtics went nuts, and then the Knicks went, what, 2-11 and 11 in the 13 games after that. Kelly is a – here's a great example of what I was talking about before. If we're having this conversation a month ago, the Terry Rozier grade is completely different, and the Kelly Olenek grade is completely different. Kelly looks like a more comp- – Kelly is the guy, I think, you know, as far as talking about Max and, and, and me and the show that we do, Kelly drives us crazy because in the way that you know a coach cares about you if he's yelling at you all the time because we've really felt that Kelly has been a player who has not performed at his talent level. And to see him now start to put it together it has been – you know, see him play with confidence. To see him play with physical, a little more physical strength and balance than he's played with, that to me is very significant. But what drives me crazy, and it's funny because Max hasn't bought into this yet, but you know, you're reading all the numbers. You're looking at all the advanced metrics. It's been two years now. Kelly's defensive numbers. Very good. The, the, unbelievable. They're unbelievably good. Yeah. And then you start, I think I'm not a believer. He's I want there. every number I can have. I want them all in front of me so I can decide what I like and what I don't. I want to see everything. Give me every piece of information. And so I had the same reaction when I saw it at first. Like, really? Kelly's good? And then when you start looking at it under that, wait a minute, let me look at Kelly a little more critically. The film shows you realize it He absolutely really makes sure he does the right thing and makes guys, do guys score on him? Yes, guys are going to score on him. But he makes them work. And it is staggering to me how over and over again, when you really start watching for it, how efficient he is defensively. Combine that with the fact he's now a, you know, he's sort of a reliable three-point shooter, certainly when he's open. Uh, he's starting to get a little more aggressive. He still drives me nuts giving up layup opportunities and free-throw opportunities to kick to the corner, but that's a Celtic-wide thing of, you know, giving up the ball under the basket to, to try to get a three. Uh, this has been a, you know, a little Kelly Olenek renaissance, and if we're, I'm hesitant, it's only because we've seen a couple of these before, and they've been followed by Step backs, and I think something that's going to hurt Kelly now is the inevitable. You know, it's going to be no longer 15 general managers that passed on a Dedekumbo. It's just going to be Danny because he took Kelly right before him. So you're going to get the inevitable. Now they're going to start seeing Milwaukee on the schedule. The inevitable Dedekumbo Kelly Olenek, you know, draft thing is going to come up a lot. It's going to hurt him the way it's hurt guys who've been. You know, drafted ahead of probably where they should be. Yeah, not here. Not here. He is their best big man defender, although I'll, I have to ask a serious question because uh, I think this is a serious question. Has uh, 
Has he gotten a rebound in traffic yet this season? Well, we can all hope for one. That's the thing. Isn't it going to be great when it happens? So, you know, we all just kind of cross our fingers. And, you know, he gets – that's the thing. He's just not – he doesn't it, – it's one thing to not be strong. You, you have to play strong. You know what I'm saying? You have to – you've got to put two hands on the ball. You've got to use your body. And there's a – we joke about it a lot. There's almost a Canadian element to him of politeness. When it comes to when it comes to rebounding and whatever, and you'd like to see him a little bit more, you know, yank Kevin Love's arm out of the socket, but he'll apologize right away. And uh, you want to see a little more? If you could get a little more Marcus Smart and Kelly, maybe a little more Kelly and Marcus Smart, maybe you'd have that perfect combination. Ah, thank you. You must have cheated. I saw I saw that Smart's up next, but yes, Marcus Smart is up next. Sean, do know you asked for a water break halfway through, so we'll give you one. We will take a brief break here, and we'll be right back here with you as we get into the meat of the order with Marcus Smart. Do up. This is Larry A. Trussell alongside Sean Granny, and you're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Did you know that Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country? Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Achieving this by supporting more sustainable food system and setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Home chefs means cooking together, which means greater family bonds. Personally, I look forward to Fridays when I get home after a long day of working and see a box of fresh ingredients sitting on my front porch, perfectly chilled, under the perfect temperature, produce comes in impeccable, the proteins are delicious, and the recipes are fun. I'm so looking forward to January and February because I know I'm going to be getting spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage, pork chops and garlic piccata with scallions, rice and spinach, mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime and sour cream. How can you ask for more? You don't have to. Blue Apron is free to you. You'll get three free meals and free shipping. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. That's blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. Three free meals, free shipping, zero risk, fresh ingredients, the perfect start to a brand new year. Episode number 193 of Celtics Beat with Sean Granny is brought to you by Movement Watches. MVMT Watches was founded on the belief that style should not break the bank. The watchmaker's goal is to change the way consumers think about fashion by offering high-quality, minimalist products at revolutionary prices. With over half a million watches sold to customers in 160-plus countries around the world, MVMT Watches has solidified itself as the world's fastest-growing watch company. Classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism movement watches start at just $95. At a department store, you're looking at four to 500 bucks. Movement figured out that by selling online, they were able to cut out the middleman and the retail markup, providing the best possible price. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmtwatches.com slash Celticspeed. This watch has a really clean design. I've been getting compliments left, right, and sideways ever since I put mine on. And now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to mvmtwatches.com slash Celticspeed. Join the movement. Welcome back to CLNS Radio LHR here alongside Sean Granny. You led us perfectly into the break going from Kelly to Marcus. Love what Marcus is doing this year, the improvements he's made as a facilitator and playmaker. Had Kevin Pelton here uh, from ESPN on last week's show when he astutely pointed out that the team's effective field goal percentage on Smart's passes off the pick is 68%. And you can really see this patience and savviness and the accuracy of his passes, something I think that is very underrated not talked about. You see all that, let alone those hashtag when he plays it. Certain Celtics coaches or color commentators consistently reference that Charlotte game diving on the floor twice 
But you said you want to see more Kelly and Marcus and Marcus and Kelly. So I get the sense that you'd like for as confident as Marcus is, maybe a little more easiness on that trigger. Uh, you know, once in a while, I, I think the, uh, my only concern about Marcus, who, by the way, gets an A++-plus for me, and it's a, it's a man crush I don't apologize for uh, in any way, shape, or form. And every time I said this the other night, Dur- I think uh, last week when he made that play, I think I said in the call, if anyone sends me one more trade request, trade thing to look at that has Marcus Smart's name in it, I just hit delete now because I'm just not interested. If the Celtics won another championship, Marcus Smart's going to be on that team. I it gave, happens. You can, I, you can write that write that down that I said it. A plus plus. I I gave Marcus Smart a, a, a B plus. There's still no real progress on his shooting, and I, I think that the lack of explosiveness is a little bit of a concern for me for him to really elevate himself going forward because I think that's going to create a, a greater emphasis on him developing a jump shot. Ronda was able to get away with it for a long time, but that's because he was very explosive. Smart was not, but that's of course. If Marcus lives up to being uh, this upper echelon high, high pick, because what he's giving right now and what you say about him uh, certainly more than suffices. We're on a little bit of a B-plus train here, so going right now to Jay Crowder. Um, you mentioned way more open shots for many players on this team earlier. Adam Himmelsbach had a nice line in the Globe after the Utah game at the beginning of the month, which was pretty much the night that kicked off that white-hot shooting spree, so no real player has benefited as much from from these open looks and everything. Over 20% of Crowder's three-point attempts have come when there's not an opponent within six feet of him, which is double from last year. That's the Horford factor, just getting better open looks. We used to complain that the Celtics don't have a sharpshooter, but uh, Jay Crowder, 43% from three-point this year. I think that's... Take it from me, Sean. Isn't it funny that Brad Stevens uh, kept saying over and over again when people could, were complaining about the Celtics not being able to shoot threes, he kept saying, we have the guys that can make them. We just have to get get them better looks. And obviously that's the way it played out. Jay Crowder, for a brief moment last week, uh, crept into the top ten in the NBA in three-point shooting. So, yeah, a lot of his shots are open, but when this – one of these uh, things that's turning into one of the deals of the century, getting Jay Crowder for Rajon Rondo. Did anyone think we'd be having a conversation two years later where Jay Crowder was one of the top ten three-point shooters in the NBA? And that's in addition to everything else, and hopefully we're past the Gordon Hayward nonsense, which is just a, a lover's quarrel between Jay and, and the fans because they're both so passionate about everything. Uh, I, I can't you know, can't say enough about what Jay Crowder has done. It's been interesting. when he, You saw what happened. When he went into a little slump, it was jarring when all of a sudden he had a couple of off games. Injury-related? Uh, I, I think it was a little bit injury-related. I think he just told you, I think there was some, you know, the mental issue of, of dealing with that. I talked to him about it the other night, and I think he just had to put that episode, uh, you know, behind him. I think if anyone – Jay Crowder is one of those guys that is going to – probably push a little too hard sometimes and try to do a little too much. He's transitioned more this year to being that 3 and D guy that people have qualmed about for so long. Offensively, that's pretty much it for him now. That that, that wing three-pointer, that, that there's such a great emphasis on that three from the wing. He's not making as much of an impact defensively as he did last year. I don't know if it is that injury, but he's still far and away the team's best wing defender. Uh, good question, too, is which player has benefited most from Horford's addition. I would say uh, Crowder is leading the pack, so Let's get right now to Al Horford. Like I said, we're on the B-plus train. Uh, that may be a little low for some people. I think a lot of this, remember the expectation, of course, salary. He is declining. I know you saw Coach Nick in his B-ball breakdown video, how he's just not really impacting shots at the rim. His shot blocking, which has gone down since the beginning of the season, is a requisite of him being a step-behind player. So we'll get to the good stuff a little bit later But uh, with Al. Um, but are you at all a little concerned? <laughs> How about this? You know he's a center, but he doesn't want to play center. He's a, he wants to play power forward. 
What do you make of that there, even though at this point the, the numbers in the film pretty much say that he's best off as a center and the team would be better off playing him as a center because then they'd be able to play Olenek and, and uh, Amir Johnson at power forward, et cetera, et cetera. Sean, what say you? Sounds an awful lot like five years ago when a certain Kevin future Hall of Famer and one of the best 20 players oh, yeah. to ever play the game was, was told, uh, hey, could you just do us a favor? Just slide over to center for tonight. He dominated Dwight Howard in that game, adding to the Kevin Garnett legend, and then at age whatever he was, 37, 38 at that point, had one of the greatest seasons for any player at that age in the history of the NBA, and I think I voted him all third-team center. Kevin Garnett in 2012 uh, because of his you know willingness to do it. I think that maybe that's the future. I think maybe that's the lineup. You know, again, not how you start, how you finish. Maybe that's how the Celtics will end up finishing games by the time this year is over. You know, you look at who the Celtics are going to have to beat. Is it going to work against Valanciunas in the second round? No. Is it going to work, you know, against Cleveland in the in the possible conference final? Yeah, what's the first-round matchup? We don't know. So I think everything is, you know, a variable. And I think Al was kind of brought here on the pretense he wouldn't have to do it. I think he'll eventually realize what you're saying, that more minutes for him at center is a better thing I for the team. I think it's going to take a year, though. I think you say possibly after this season, it's, hey, Al, you're 31. I, I don't think you can do it to him right after you tell him during that whole free agency recruiting pitch, which you brought up. You're not going to play center. You're not going to play center, even though members of the organization believe that he is a center. Uh, he's actually fifth among centers um, in offensive real plus minus. And the the whole jump to the offense this year, they're in the top seven, I believe. I think they're fourth in offensive fourth quarter efficiency. How much of this is Horford's impact on the offense and his ability to space the floor and, of course, the ball movement that he's bringing, uh, that he can handle the ball, that he can pass out of both the high and the low blocks? How, just talk a little bit about Al Horford's impact on the offense. We all see it, but, I mean, this is, you know, go right ahead. We saw it from the first minute of the first preseason game. Max and I looked at each other two or three minutes into it, and, and when that starting five just took off like a shot from the first preseason game. And we talked about Brad Stevens and Al Horford being coach-player soulmates. You know, where have they been each other's lives? It's, it's such a perfect fit because of all the different things that he does. I think there are other little things. Around, that's number one. It's the biggest impact by far. I think Isaiah and Marcus doing a much better job not turning the ball over is a factor, uh, you know, better decision-making, Avery's, Avery's decision-making. There are a lot of incremental things that have helped to get better. That's obviously the biggest. Uh, okay, now, of course, the team MVP, Isaiah Thomas. I'm going to play huge devil's advocate. I gave him an A-. minus. Some people would say A++. We all know what, what he's done, so I'll play the devil's advocate. I've got to deduct because of the defense. I tweeted this out on Absolutely. Wednesday. Okay, no, roll. Do it. No, I, and you know what? I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that what he's, he's doing things that we've never seen before. He's doing things that no Celtic has ever done before. He's doing things that no human being has ever done before. So it's amazing. But obviously, any of us that are now advanced enough to understand both sides of the floor, in these spectacular fourth quarters, the Celtics are basically playing teams even. These are close games that start the fourth, and the Celtics are winning close games. But uh, the defensive numbers are horrific during this stretch. Now, obviously, you make the trade anytime and twice on Sunday to do it. But I think Isaiah, I, I think sometimes there are intangible things about changing the culture of a team, uh, you know, galvanizing a city. He has become such a popular player and has just adopted the city. The city has adopted him. I think there are things that you kind of look beyond it. And while, yeah, I get no problem with, with someone nitpicking, giving him an A- instead of an A+, I'll ask you this. In the East MVP race after LeBron, 
I think DeRozan and Lowry kind of split. The, he could be the number two most valuable player in the Eastern Conference at this point. He's in the listen. It's going to be a hardened year. No one's going to pay attention to LeBron because he's LeBron. He could easily win. Westbrook, Westbrook, LeBron, and Harden are obviously going to be one through three with Durant and Curry splitting votes, Lowry and DeRozan splitting votes. Isaiah is in this top five conversation, which is beyond remarkable when you consider where he has come from. I'll finish up my thoughts on Isaiah Thomas, but I know you got to go, Sean. We asked for 30. You gave us 40. I lie. But Sean Grandy, radio play-by-play voice for the Boston Celtics. Follow man on Twitter at SeanGrandyPBP. Sean, you just got back from the fight out in Los Angeles, did the game yesterday against the Blazers. So please, get some sleep, and I'll take care of this from here. I'll, I'll do my best. Thanks, Sean. Okay, I do want to get to this. I'll go back to what Sean mentioned about the closeness of games this year. And, you know, one prime example was the game Isaiah hit the game-winning layup in Philadelphia, the the beginning of December, against an Embiid-less Sixers team, which, a.k.a., that's the worst team in the NBA. Yes, even worse than the Nets. And those final few offensive plays that Isaiah made were great, but Remember, it was that close because the Celtics couldn't get a stop in that game against the woeful and beadless Sixers. Isaiah in the fourth, the Celtics in the fourth, more wins in the clutch than any team in the NBA thus far. It's great, but, but, just a massive elephant in the room. Boston's defensive rating with Isaiah Thomas on the floor in the fourth quarter, 122. 122 points per 100 possessions for the opposition. And you go up and down some of the most utilized lineups, and and they're all just absurdly high with Isaiah in them. And, And I tweeted it out back on Wednesday. Of the 86-point guards in the NBA, guess who's ranked 86 in defensive real plus minus? And It's Isaiah, and it's not even close. He will be in that same standing when the season ends. He's so far away from number 85, which I believe is Brandon Knight. Uh, So, so like I said, to be the devil's advocate and and to justify the A- and not the A+, which if you get caught up in these games, which I do, his defense, elephant in the room here. It's in some instances where in the front court it may be a formula issue, with Isaiah, there's just there's nothing you can do. Uh, he's he's 5'9". He tries his damnedest at it, uh, but it, you just can't hide him. And uh, you saw a team like Toronto really exploit that and other teams as well. Now, with that said, he is the team MVP. Uh, offensively, I look at him as a very, 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 like a very rich man's version of uh, Nick Van Exel. Everything that Van Exel did, especially on those Lake Show teams, Isaiah does just much, much better. He's, uh, I, I've, I've even said it here, he's a more efficient 2001 Allen Iverson. He's a, a plus shooter just about everywhere. Offensively, he has every shot and, and maneuver for that for that type of player. The hesitation is just about unstoppable in that he can step back and throw that rainbow up over anybody. You just do high of an arching shot that he won't be able to get a block as he did over Baysmore. And he even did it, I think, against Cody Zeller on, on against Charlotte or, or just let alone just blow by anyone, pretty much anyone. I, I, I don't know. We're at 43 games in. I have not seen a player that has, that where he has not gotten around this year. Um, you know, as a fan, as, hmm. As someone who wakes up at, at 3 a.m. to watch Celtics games on replay, and I got to admit, some days going into it, it, it seems like a chore. But when I find out that Isaiah would go off for like 20 in the fourth, had 52, or hit a game winner, it's like, yes, I can't wait to watch that. And 
despite uh, of all of what I said, you just can't poo-poo how fun this is to watch. It's the old cliche of, I've never seen anything like it. Well, you know, uh, you really haven't. And uh, I looked this up because you get the sense he has that Baron Davis syndrome of really feeding off a, a charged home crowd. So I felt like, oh, these offensive fourth quarters and these outputs, they must they must come at home. And how foolish of me, the Hawks and the Sixers game winner, the Grizzlies come back, all was pretty much all him. Uh, but uh, these fourth quarters... So these are the splits. First off, a 68 true shooting percentage in the fourth quarter. That is just, oh, my God, that is otherworldly. Uh, but the split, 71 true, 71, 71 true shooting percentage at home in the fourth quarter. Uh, so a little boost, and then 66 true shooting percentage on the road. I mean, this, this is, quote-unquote, something we've never seen before, and I must say, enjoy it. Enjoy it now. Not only are these fourth quarter outbursts historic, not only is he making Miami games on New Year's Eve, or was, was it New Year's Eve Eve or, or something like that, but it, Miami games, let's put it that way, or Monday night Hornets games, or games down in Philadelphia in front of 1,100 people, he's making all that must-watch TV. He is the ultimate look-at-the-positives-in-life metaphor, especially when it comes to the NBA. So there you go for Isaiah. A minus, if you can't remember. We do have one more name, by the way. The team leader in minutes. And the most tenured Celtic by a mile. Avery Bradley, where once again, the advanced analytics on face value, they don't show it. But me, A minus, we're on an A minus train. Well, not as much of the B plus train, but Avery A minus. And not only does he cover the bases on so many facets, particularly in which the Celtics need be it guarding the opposing team's best player and doing very well against that opposing team's best player. The rebounding, hitting shots in the spot up, creating his own. He's gone back to cutting really well as he did so here in 2012 when he was playing alongside Rondo and Garnett was passing really well. Now that Horford's here, Boston can initiate some offense out of the low block as he draws some double teams. And he's really everybody's cutting. Smart's really learned from that. Uh, that's something that Marcus, I didn't really give enough him, him credit for. But maybe I'm just so biased towards Avery because of the consistent year-to-year improvement that he's had. And I talked about that, of course, with Austin uh, Ainge back on Christmas Day here. But we all know about the rebounding. He was once a, a putrid rebounder, even for a guard. And his rebounding rate this year has just about doubled and I think doubled off his career year, which I think was two years ago. And he's I th- no longer the Celtics' best rounder for whatever rebounder. It's actually Kelly Olenek in terms of rebounding rate. But um, hashtag winning plays. And also, as I noted with Sean, because uh, while we don't have the stat on this, I can kind of say it's true. I don't think Kelly Olenek has a rebound in traffic yet this year. Hashtag winning plays. Avery Bradley boxing out Embiid on the glass in that home game against Philly earlier in the month. Uh, <laughs> that was arguably the play of the game outside of Horford's game-winning shot. Uh, so, let alone the other improvement, uh, obviously his shooting, beat off the dribble or, or spot up. Don't have to get into that. We all know. But, you know, once upon a time... Avery could not finish at the rim unless it was uncontested on the cut. He could not finish at the rim whatsoever at all. And as he was improving his outside shot and really right when Brad Stevens first came on that 13-14 year and he was taking on more of an offensive role, as he was improving his outside shot, 
defenses had him a little bit figured out, and they would continuously fly by him, so that way that would force him to drive to the basket and thus finish, and he wasn't doing that. When he did that, when he did put up some sort of attempt of a shot, a floater, uh, any, any anything, it was it either was not going in or it was going right back into his face. Uh, it, Back so okay, let's go to this Stevens here. Back in 2014, he had 26% of his shots blocked around the basket. 26%. That's more than a quarter of his shots were rejected, and the others that didn't go in. This year, it's down to 14% and just 7.2% overall. So, I'm partial. I am very partial to Avery. Sean talks how Isaiah changed the culture and has done so over the last. Two years, and while I guess you just cannot concretely prove it, you go back to a year ago, let alone two years ago prior to when he was here, the Celtics were one of the worst fourth quarter offenses in the NBA, and now they're one of the best and one of the best in clutch situations uh, offensively. But Avery's quieter contributions play very much into what Boston has built here. And for that, I am partial towards. So let's call it right there on the midterm grades. Music for this show was provided by Chuck Dietz, Project R, and Steph Legrato. Follow us on social media. Can reach me on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR or follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Once again, thanks to Celtics Radio play-by-play voice Sean Granny. Today's sponsors were Movement Watches, Blue Apron, and ZipRecruiter. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Justin Poole, and founder of the network Nick Jelso and myself, the executive producer and host, I'm Larry A. Trussell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat powered by CLNS Radio.